So Money Episode 497, Barry Tesler, Financial Therapist. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Does the thought of money make you sick? Does it make you sad, happy, overconfident, indifferent? Welcome to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. And today we're talking about how our emotions can run rampant when it comes to the topic of personal finance and helping us navigate all of that, get to the root of these emotions, is my guest today, financial therapist, Barry Tesler. She is a friend and the founder of The Art of Money, a global year-long money school with three stages, money healing, money practice and money maps. And she has a new book out with the same name, The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness. She's been touring the country, sharing her wisdom with everybody, and she's making a stop here on the show. Very lucky to have her. Uh, We're going to be talking about the teachings from her new book and how she herself struggled with money on her climb to becoming the teacher and mentor she is today. Here's Barry Tesler. Barry Tesler, my friend, welcome to the show. And I'm sorry it's taking me so long to finally catch up with you. The Art of Money has been on a whirlwind national tour. Congratulations on the launch of that. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm delighted and honored to be here. Thank you. You and I go back. I have been a fan of your work forever. And when I was launching, or I should say in the writing phase of When She Makes More, my last book, I was thinking, who do I... Who do I, who should I interview? Uh, some people, I want to talk to people who are, I consider to be one of the foremost experts when it comes to money and relationships. Uh, and, and your name came, you know, first in mind and you were generous to give me some of your ideas. They're in the book. And, um, you hadn't written your own book at that point. What made you decide that you wanted to do your own, become an author of your own? I know the art of money is based on your program as a financial therapist. But why do the book? Well, I've been doing this work now for 15 years, and it was a decade before where I was training to be a therapist. So I created my methodology 15 years ago, which I call, you know, financial therapy and money. It's it's the title now is The Art of Money, and it's money healing and money practices and money maps. Back in the day, I used to call it conscious bookkeeping. But the very first talk I gave on my methodology Someone in the room would, you know, said, well, when's the book? And every talk that I gave since then, people would say, when's the book? When's the book? So I always said, it's coming. <laughs> you know, it's one day it's coming. Mm-hmm. I always knew I wanted to write at least one book. There's more books in me. We'll see. You know, we'll see. You know, I'm so impressed that you have three. Um, really impressed with that. And so I, you know, I, I'm more someone who I like to teach my material. I used to teach it in very small groups of 10 people over and over and over. And then I moved to 20 person groups and then 50. And then I eventually moved into a year long program. And now we have 400 students in the year. And I love teaching in that way. I love being a guide. I love having a very large community that comes from all different economic backgrounds. I love working in groups. And I just always knew that one day I would want to create, hopefully, a classic money book that 
kept my voice and the unique way that I came to this work and that I teach and, and create a book that I would be really, really proud of. And that would be able to reach so many more people that don't necessarily want to do a year long program or work with me privately. And that's what, that's what's happening so far. We are three months live as of yesterday. So and yeah, <laughs> and, and we should mention, you know, your work as a financial therapist. This is, uh, I feel like you're one of the founding financial therapists, you know, in, in the category as we know it today. You said, what was it called? Um, therapeutic bookkeeping? Conscious bookkeeping. Conscious bookkeeping. Okay, Conscious so we've come a long way. <laughs> we've come a long way. You know, in 2001, I started using the word financial therapy. And my husband, I need to give him credit. He's, we've been together for 16 years. He was with me from day one when I realized, wow, this was an enormous missing piece in my education, not just in grade school and high school um, and college, but in graduate school, training to be a therapist. It, we, we, we studied every single topic under the sun beyond, except for our relationship to money and how we were going to work with couples and how we were going to start our own private practices and on and on. And my husband was there at the beginning when um, a dear mentor of mine said, it's time for you to give a talk on what you're trying to do. I see that you're trying to integrate all of your deep therapy training and and all of the tools and the space holding that you do um, in, in life's ebbs and flows and beauty and pain. And you really know how to work with people and hold space for people on a deep level. And all of these tools, these practical money tools and systems and practices that I really surprisingly fell in love with. And I was trying to put them all together. And she said to me, it's time to, you know, put it into a talk and I'm going to get the group and you come and, and, and I went out into the woods and asked, what am I supposed to bring back to my community? How do I help them have a more conscious, healthy, savvy, creative, loving, compassionate relationship to money? And I brought back what has become the three phases of my methodology. And my husband was right there. And he said, financial therapy, that's what you're doing. And so, yes, in 2001, we came up with that term. I remember one other person on the web and the internet using it. And now it's become a whole organization and association. And I've been doing my own version of it, you know, since 2001. And so what's the framework for, for your financial therapy? How much of it is um, inner transformation and how much of it is, is it systems and, you know, tools and tactics? Um, because I imagine, yes, a lot of it is emotional, but at some point it's money. So that you have to track it, you have to, you know, be conscious of it. So how, so what's the, yes. Yeah. So marriage? For, what's the marriage? So for me, the way I work is on a practical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual level. And I break it down into, three phases. So the, the first phase is all the emotional work. It's money is emotional for many, many people. And I need to give people tools to help them understand what's the cocktail of emotions that comes up, anger, sadness, grief, checking out all, you know, all I need to give people a set of tools so they can learn emotional intelligence in this area. What do we project onto money? What is it? And then there's a lot of work in there around what is our money story, you know, right? What is our money story? What are our money patterns? What are our strengths and our challenges? Where do we need forgiveness? 
ourselves or someone else or a contract that we didn't read years ago because we did not know how to claim our value at the time. We're so different today. We would have read the contract, but we didn't. And, you know, we all have little mistakes or messes from the past. So a third of my work is money healing. It's, you know, it's the psychological piece and it's helping people understand the emotions that come up for them around money. When we're going to talk about money, when we're going to have a money conversation with our spouse, you know, when we're going to look at our numbers online. So, and on and on and on. So that's a third. That's really important for me. And I start there, um, even though I love the practical stuff. So the second phase is all about what I call money practices, And so many people have a yoga practice or I hike every day in my mountain. That's what I do. Or people meditate or exercise. We all have different practices. And I just finally realized we need a money practice, whether it's five minutes a day, you know, 15 minutes every few days, 30 minutes once a week. I call them money dates. And so for me, there's a whole piece around learning to set up. Um, a money practice that works for you. You know, do you need to schedule it? Can it be spontaneous? And it's also about choosing a bookkeeping system. I love tracking systems. So many people are terrified to look at their numbers. I, you know, you know, and at least half my people, if not more, have no idea what's going in, what's going out, coming in, what's going out, what their debt asset. And so there's a huge piece around choosing a bookkeeping system. I do a whole piece around that because there's no perfect bookkeeping system. And what's intuitive to one person is not intuitive to someone else. I learned on QuickBooks and I fell in love years and years ago. And and so it's it's learning a tracking system and learning how to review your numbers and learning how to understand cash flow and your patterns. And then I do a whole piece around adding your values, you know, into your bookkeeping system, even in the way you rename things. So it may seem out there to some, but for some of my folks to rename mortgage or rent to home or sanctuary or love shack or renaming a debt instead of like that damn debt that hangs over me like a black cloud, mm-hmm. I ask Yeah, I ask people to really ask themselves what was going on in my life. What big transition? You know, did I have a health crisis? Did I have a new baby? Did I leave the corporate world to start my own business? Did I travel the world? And instead of that damn debt that's hanging over me that I don't want to look at and look at the number and come up with a payment plan, I have people sit down and ask themselves what was really going on them and rename it. And little renaming things like that make a huge difference in wanting to have a relationship, you know, and I'm always about what is your relationship to money and how do we, if things are going well, great, but what do we want to keep and shift? So that's the second phase. And then the third phase is what people call budgeting. And I call it a map of intention or a money map. Yeah, no one likes that yeah. word budgeting. No one does, really? Because not I'm like, really. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I can't speak for everyone, but I have a feeling that <laughs> it's, it's, we don't really get so, excited about it. Exactly, and I want people to be excited, you know. Yes. And and I I have this like warning sign, like beware if you do my work or if you do this kind of work, you may one day go running to your Quicken or QuickBooks if you rename things. And you know, I, you know me, I like to light candles and eat some dark chocolate. You're when- a little woo woo, Barry. I'll I'll go there. I'll say that. It's so funny because I have some people who say you're so not woo woo, and other people put me on the woo woo spectrum. <laughs> you know, I think I'm very practical along with the psychological and spiritual. You know. Um, 
Um, but that's okay. If that's you okay. Little woo woo. You know, I light my candles and I eat my dark chocolate. And sometimes when I'm having a money date with my husband, I get out a glass of wine or we go out for dinner. Or, I call that fun. That's wine fine. and chocolate right. and candles. Let's live in life. <laughs> exactly. you're, you're so right about, you know, adjusting our vocabulary, not just with money too, I think in other realms of, of life and work, because that ultimately, whatever words we use, that triggers emotion and that triggers, um, you know, a, a, a mindset. And sometimes it's a negative mindset. So I love that you teach that because I mean, if just as an example, you know, I, instead of saying problems, I might, I now say things like, you know, areas for growth, you know, a place, you know, so because that's essentially what that is. It's, it, it, it's is. An op- it is a problem if you want to look at it that way, but it's also yep. an opportunity to grow and continue learning. And, and so, uh, yeah. I love that. I and love renaming and reframing things as well. It makes a big difference, right? What words we choose. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you also talk about is this body check-in. Yeah. Talk about that. That's I've never heard of a financial okay. therapist or advisor doing a body check-in. Okay. And let me just go back to just to say I do a third, a third, a third. So it's a third emotional, a mm-hmm. third practical, and then a third. It's kind of like the I want to deal with the past, the present, and the future. There's so many different ways. And we're all kind of missing ingredients. Some of us have been in therapy for years and, and we're like, aren't we done with a therapy or working on our emotions. Like I need to get to the practical. My finance people need to understand their emotions more. So anyway, it's very important to me that you understand what your missing pieces are and that you integrate all three parts, you know? Okay. So body check-in, body check-in comes from my training as a somatic therapist. So I didn't just train to be a psychotherapist, a traditional psychotherapist. I trained to be a somatic therapist. What's a somatic therapist? Somatic, soma means body. Mm -hmm. It simply means our mind and our body are connected. So I went to traditional therapy when I was a teenager because I wanted to. I asked my parents if I could go to understand myself better and they sent me to talk therapy. Now talk therapy can work, um, but we can also play a lot of games. And so eventually I found somatic therapy. It just means your mind and your body are connected, that our body has a lot of information. It has a lot of data. It stores um, it stores memories, you know, good and bad trauma. I think all of us as humans have some level of trauma, small to large. But, you know, for me, uh, uh, somatic therapy is just re- like asking someone to check in with their body on a physical level, sensation level, emotion level, breath, what's going on, you know? And I know that some people do this in yoga or again in a meditation practice. It's stopping and pausing and asking us to bring awareness to not just our mind and our thoughts, but also physically what's going on. How are we seated? Where are we tight? Where are we holding ourselves? Any sensations in our body, butterflies, stillness? What's the spectrum of emotions? Again, it could be anger, it could be sadness, it can be anxiety, it could be just checking out, falling asleep, jealousy, guilt, you know, and then the good ones of hope and excitement and creating a livelihood based on our values and being generous and trust and, you know, there's a whole spectrum. And then I also want to know where your breath is in your body, because obviously, we're always breathing, but sometimes we're holding our breath. So a body check in for me, I I invite people to do a body check in before they're going to have a money conversation during one or after. Now, we're not always going to remember in all those moments, but if we can start to practice a body check-in, it could be when we're going to have a money conversation with our honey. 
And, you know, we know that it's an anxiety provoking or we usually get really upset or (laughs) horrified that we spend differently or whatever it is. We just do a little body check in before, you know, to calm ourselves down, understand what's going on. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, you remember, wow, I'm really wanting to blame. I'm wanting to shame. I'm really pissed. Do a body check in. It just slows us down and allows us to check in and see what's going on. It helps us bring more awareness to our money story, our patterns, strengths, challenges. I have people do a money, a body check-in in all the daily money interactions. So we're going online to check our numbers when we're going to reach out to a new accountant or new financial planner, or we want to get trained on QuickBooks or Mint or YNAB. Do a body check-in before, during, and after when we're going to the mailbox to get our bills, if we still get them that way, and to sit down and pay. There's just so many daily money interactions. And ultimately, I'm wanting to bring more awareness to themselves, bring more awareness to their money story. And for me, the body check-in has been such a simple practice that when actually practiced, it's really profound. And and my folks say, Barry, I love your work. I love the year long program, but you know what changed my life? That body check-in. Wow. I know. Okay. So mind blown. (laughs) I'm going to start doing, I think that's just a good idea in general. Like just paying more attention to what your body is telling you. Yes. um, As opposed to what your phone is telling you or your. (laughs) Exactly. And what else is telling you, you listen to yourself. Listen to yourself, but it doesn't always end there. You know, jokingly, one of the chapters in my book is how do you make a good money decision? And I love this chapter because it kind of surprised us. I realized that most people walk around, um, you know, how do we make money decisions on a small, you know, and for small money decisions, mid money decisions, like buying a car, large ones, buying a house, you know, small ones, like going and buying clothes for me at the consignment store. I love that in Boulder. And just, we were all just walking around making money decisions, but not really knowing how to do it or just doing a body checking going, Oh, I really want this, you know, so I'm going to get it or, um, just being swayed by your emotions or, um, Oh no, I could never do that because, you know, I just feel guilty spending my money. So body check-ins are a huge first step, but we don't want to end there. You know, in making money decisions, I want you to have a set of questions. You know, do you know your numbers? You know, is this in alignment with your values? And on and on. I have a whole different series of questions depending if it's small, medium, and large. But the body check-in, you know, in all the daily money interactions. And and really, I mean, I'm being sneaky here. It's kind of like I want you to do this in your life, as you're saying. I want you to do this in your life just to bring more awareness, which leads to understanding, which leads to change. Good change. Just about every investment and retirement plan is created by men for men, which is fine unless you're a woman. Women still earn less than men. For now, we're more aware of risk. We're more likely than men to pause our careers to raise a family. And unfortunately, we typically retire with less wealth than men, even though statistics show that we live longer. That's why there's Elevest, created for women, run by and designed by women. Elevest helps women invest based on their specific goals, like buying a home, starting a business, raising a family, or just retiring like a boss. So Money listeners can visit elevest.com slash so money and have an investment plan created at no cost, customized to your specific goals. Invest like a woman with Elevest, E-L-L-E-V-E-S-T. That's elevest.com slash so money. 
What was your introduction to money like as a kid? I'm curious to hear more of your backstory and how you developed a relationship with money going back to even, you know, your younger years when so I'm sure you have learned and and know that, you know, so much of our upbringing dictates our adult relationship with money. So tell us more about Barry growing up and what were what was maybe one really pivotal experience you had with money. So I grew up in a middle class family with an entrepreneurial father. And my father was a tough Chicago entrepreneur in real estate. And so there was a lot of generosity and then there was a lot of conditions. And the conditions weren't always spoken about in a clear way. And so, again, there was always this mixed thing of there's money and I get to have nice things. And yet then there'd be a condition slapped down that I didn't even know existed. And I didn't know what the rules were. Um, I'll give two examples. So one is I'm 15 years old and my father just sends me out for the weekend to apply for, you know, five or six jobs and report back and immediately. You know, I go out there apply to five or six jobs, report back and tell me how it went. Now, there was nothing like, hey, honey, what do you want to do? Or what are you good at? Or what are your skill sets? And I was a sensitive girl. I mean, obviously, I, I became a therapist, a psychotherapist. So I, you know, I had really strong emotions that I had to learn how to work with. So for my father to just send me out, um, it, I had to override a lot of things. So he taught me to be tough and make things happen. If I needed a job, I would go get a job. But it was never connected to what I loved or what I thought I was good at or what my skill sets were or what I really wanted to bring to the world, you know, and how I wanted to serve. It was none of that. So I would go and apply for jobs and come back and tell him. But so that was one example. Um, Another example that I tell in the book is that so here I am, my undergrad was paid for and then I paid for graduate school. So that's kind of the line in, in my family. So I'm in undergrad and a lot of my friends were going to Europe, going to Italy for a semester, right? Um, on some level, very generous. Well, it is very generous, like, and, you know, to, to send me to Europe, to send me to Italy to study for a semester. So we get over there and... At some point, I went with some friends to go travel to another country. I came back. We were using payphones to call our parents at that time. I called my father. He was furious that I didn't tell him about this. But again, I never knew what the guidelines were. He wanted me to like make copies of my checkbook every week in college and send it to him, which I did. But then there was no conversations about like what it's okay to spend on, what you shouldn't be spending on, how do you plan, how do you budget, any of that. So there was no teachings. It was more just rules and conditions. So after my father found out that I went to another country without telling him, he decided to stop sending me money for a month. Wow. Now, yeah. So yes, I was a privileged young middle-class girl, you know, and here I was in Europe, but you know what? I hadn't yet developed the skills on, I could get a job, but I had no idea how to do that in Europe. I, I could do that in the States. I could go get a retail job really quickly. And so I was left with like, what did you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I literally remember exactly what I ate every day. It was like this one turkey panini sandwich, you know, a grilled sandwich. That was my one thing. I, I, was, I, I was living on hardly anything for that month until he decided to send me money again. And again, it was never 
there was never sitting down and, and, you know, I mean, I was terrified. I, I was very hard for me all the other kids I was around that wasn't happening to them. And so I had to deal with those emotions and I made it through. And I think I ate like one main meal a day. Um, but it makes you feel like it, it, there's an, it's arbitrary. It felt very arbitrary, it, right? It was, it was, I mean, okay, this is what I've come to learn is that, you know, my parents were not given a financial education themselves or, you know, th- there's many missing pieces of it. Um, and my dad was basically taught to be tough and to make things happen, but there wasn't ever clear communication. He wasn't so good at that. You know, he was loving and tough. And so I just, there was a lot of lessons like that, that everything in me wanted to rebel against, you know, I wanted to make my own money so I can be on my own terms. I never wanted to marry a man who made a lot more money than me, or, you know, I left Chicago very intentionally because I'm like, I'm not marrying a Jewish attorney, real estate guy, yeah. <laughs> real estate guy, which I grew up with, you know, I'm not doing that. And I left that to make my own way and really needed to find a man. I didn't get, I, I met my husband at 32. We got married at 35 and we were much more on equal footing growing and evolving together. And then there were years when you interviewed me where I was making more than him, you know, and that was a whole thing. But I, you know, really rebelled against um, my father and all of that and had to learn how to make my own way, but then also realized that I did not have a relationship to money that was healthy. It did, I did not have one. I, I, in some level, I did think money grew on trees and yet the bank statements would come and I would throw them away. So for me, my big epiphany was when my student loan bill came at 28. And that's when I really got, wow, I have studied every other topic in my life. I've matured and developed in so many ways. Money's still not even in the teenager phase, although it was in some places, it's in the infant stage, you know, toddler infant stage. And I had to suddenly learn. Um, I was similar to you. I had a master's degree, but I was making $11 an hour as a counselor. You beat me. You were making 18. I, I thought 18, but that was before taxes. <laughs> True. Okay. That was making 11 an hour. And I just had no idea how I was going to create a livelihood based mm-hmm. on my, you know, skill set and gifts and the way I wanted to serve. And, you know, it was, it was an enormous wake up call that terrified me. And I thought I'd, you know, maybe I thought of running away and becoming <laughs> a and traveling the world. Or, you know, my other option was to look at it head on and start to learn about money, you know, from the ground on up. And that's when I started learning bookkeeping and it, you know, blew me away that I could learn it because I wasn't good at math as a kid. And so I'd equated if I'm not good at math, I can't do money or can't do bookkeeping. And I learned all these programs and fell in love. You think that's something that we teach? young girls more than we say to young boys that there's this story and going around that young girls aren't as good at math or can't do math because then we become women, adult women, and we feel that we can't then tackle our finances. I think we're changing that story right now. Mm -hmm. But yes, that has been a predominant story from generations before. Um, Lots of stories. You know, I'm the first one in my family to go to college. First woman. First woman wow. in my family. There's lots of things that yeah. our generation is actively changing. You know, I, I, I grew up in um, public schools. And so I definitely experienced that. My son is in a Montessori school. Um, 
and he's a boy, you know, but so I'm trying to teach him both, you know, all, all sides of being creative of, and he's, he's really into science and math and movement and art and all that. So trying to raise him in a more holistic way. What's your number one money habit, Barry, that helps you in your financial relationship? My number one money habit, um, well, I can never answer one. I'm so bad at that. I mean, <laughs> the body check-in, the money dates. Um, yeah, what happens at one of your money dates? Walk me through it. Yeah. So a money date can happen alone or it can happen with my husband. And, um, you know, just so we are clear and honest, when I first started doing money dates with my husband, they weren't fun. You know, my community says, oh, my God, I finally had a money date with my husband or spouse or wife. And we weren't yelling and we weren't swearing. And we weren't, you know, blaming and shaming the the other one. I mean, so a money date for me is just giving money attention on on whatever level it needs, practical stuff for emotional, psychological, spiritual. So for me, I'll sit down. I do light my candles. You know, I I light my candles. I get out my good dark chocolate. Sometimes I get out my essential oils. My husband thinks that's hilarious when I spray essential oils over our head in the middle of a money date. He's like, okay, honey, whatever you need to do. <laughs> Where's this but, going? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then we just sit down and I'll go online and I'll look at my balances. I mean, I did my own bookkeeping on QuickBooks for 12 years before I handed it over to my bookkeeper of a few years now. And so I would go to QuickBooks and I would sit down and I would look at that chart of accounts. Um, because those were categories that I had all come up. I came up with the names, you know, I organized them. Um, I love QuickBooks in that way because you can, you know, come up with the names you want to use and organize them in a way that feels good. And I would sit there and I would stare at my chart of accounts and then I would track every few days. I would track what would come in, what would go out, um, where my husband would just, um, sync up to, you know, mint, and, and the difference is, again, between the two of us is that I needed to have someone hold my hand to teach me QuickBooks and Quicken. My husband could just in one flash, you know, teach himself Mint or iBank. And so I had to have someone hold my hand and teach me those programs. And then for me, I couldn't just sync up with Mint or any of those accounts and have it download. Um, I, if, in order to form a relationship with the ins and outs with my cash flow, with my spending, I wanted to track every few days and it took five minutes. So that was one of my money dates for many years is every few days I would get out my receipts and sit down and track and it would just take a few minutes. Um, now, you know, that that's being done by bookkeeper, a money date can be sitting down and with my husband reviewing our numbers over a few months and having a discussion, you know, like, uh, is this total amount on average of what we've been doing? Where are we spending more? Where are we spending less? Um, then go over to the business, you know, um, cause he was running the art of money with me for many years. Now he's back in his own business and just what's the cash flow over there. What are the projections? Where are we going? And obviously our business and personal finances need to be talking to each other. We need to see how much we need personally to see where we want to go with the business. And, you know, they're each different entities. Um, what else? I mean, I look at my numbers. I ask myself a set of questions. Um, I review patterns. 
what's working, what's not, where I want to be going, you know, is my spending and earning, earning and saving and giving and investing in alignment with my values? Is it not? Where am I totally off track? You know, and then there's the whole budgeting thing, which we don't call budgeting, right? As we said, (laughs) we call it a money map. And I do that in three phases. So the first one is what's your bottom line, basic needs. The second phase is comfortable lifestyle. The third one is ultimate. So me and my husband are all also always discussing what phase of life are we in? What year in our life are we in? Did we just have a child or now, you know, what's that's an so ultimate? What, what, what would characterize as an ultimate? See, this is where everyone's different. And what's mm-hmm. fascinating for me is even in my community of 400 people, there's a third of people that say that they're going for their basic needs, bottom line. A third of my folks say comfortable, a third say ultimate. The numbers are completely different based on where we live, based on how old we are, based on phase of life, based on what we want. So my ultimate, maybe you're comfortable. My comfortable, maybe someone else's bottom line, basic needs. It's so different. So that's why, you know, it's a whole exercise that I have people sit down a half an hour, a few hours, how do you define bottom line basic needs now in your life as a concept? What are the expenses that go with it? What are the numbers? And then add it up. And I want to know what that total is. And then when you get to comfortable, what do you add in there? You know, some people massage self-care is in comfortable. For some people, it's in bottom line basic needs. For some people, they would never put a massage in bottom line basic needs because someone across the world could never do that. You know, so this is one of those things where I can't tell you how to define. But I think it could be a great book or something Mm -hmm. because I would love to hear from a lot of people because I think it puts your life in perspective. It might make you be more grateful or more appreciative of what you have to, to hear from others, what they consider to be bottom line or ultimate. And, and then I think one of the biggest struggle areas for people when it comes to money is understanding really what kind of values to attach to their money and um what you know is taking a step back from the numbers and first thinking well what what's important to me and where do I want to go and goal setting and i think that can be really fun but also can feel overwhelming so how you've frameworked it i think is super tangible and then the anecdotes that you must have collected over the years also really fascinating i think that's i would love to see that in some platform, like, you know, exposed, because I think there's a lot to teach. I love that. that. I have always wanted to get more information from my community about what are the actual numbers? What does that look like? Where are you living? Like how Um, much is enough? You know, that's a big question that so few of us can really answer. It's very personal, but it's a popular hot button issue. Um, I just started watching Billions on Showtime. (laughs) It's this crazy fun show about, you know, this billionaire and his lifestyle and the, the corruption and Oh, I'm watching. I was watching it too. They've only yeah. had one season. Right? Well, right, right. We just finished this, the first season. We were a little bit late to getting started in our household, but um, I thought it was really fun to watch, but also really puts life in perspective, right? It shows you a lot of different ways that people live and um, more money, more problems. It comes Seems. with more responsibility, yeah. right? And yes, every that you know, I did years ago when I was teaching live and I was teaching in San Francisco, I would have people bring their numbers in. And I was just asking them to bring in a month, you know, a little glimpse of the month. What are the expenses and what's the total of that? And and it was that was when I was doing small groups and we would sit down and I would say, "Okay, we're going to have a conversation before we share the numbers." And everyone's holding their numbers like to their chest 
So you can't see them. And and we have a whole conversation about like, what are people afraid of? Do they think they're going to be judged? Do they think they're going to judge? What's going to come up? And then we would take this one month snapshot of our numbers and we would put it up on the wall like an art exhibit and quietly in a line we would go and just you know taking some deep breaths like looking at where everyone was spending oh my god how much did you spend on groceries living in san francisco or how much did you spend on health insurance and and on and on and then we sat down and we debriefed and we talked about it afterwards and it was everything from um, wow, I, I do see that this, you know, this kind of family, this is how much it is on average for food, or if you choose organic food, or wow, I saw someone who had less health insurance, I, I need to talk with them about how they're getting less. It, it just, obviously, it, it allowed everyone to talk about money in a safe place, and to demystify it and to unshame in some of the areas and just actually see other people's live numbers and choices. Barry, tell us how we can get involved in your course. I know the book is out, which is great. It's, it's going to be something that all of us can access. But if for those of us that are interested in following you for a year in your course, how can we get involved? So come on over to barrytesler.com and it's B-A-R-I-T-E-S-S-L-E-R and look at The Art of Money, which is my year-long program. I'm going into my fifth year and we always do an early bird. This year we're going to do it in October. So we are before the elections because we don't want to be on top of them in any way, shape or form. So in October, we'll open up for 10 days Um, For folks that just are really eager and ready to dive into some of the work, knowing that holidays can bring up so much about our relationship to money and family and on and on. So people can join in October for the year long program. And then we do an official registration in January for Art of Money 2017. And it's a whole community with guest teachers and with at least five other teaching assistants. And I'm in there a lot um, in the private community and in community calls and it is it's become my favorite way to teach wonderful barry thank you so much the book again everyone is called the art of money a life-changing guide to financial happiness barry thank you again thank you so much for having me Thanks a lot to Barry Tesler for stopping by. Her website is barrytesler.com. She's on Twitter at Barry Tesler. The book is called The Art of Money, A Life-Changing Guide to Financial Happiness. All of this back at somoneypodcast.com. If in case you missed uh, the audio, the transcripts, whatever, we've got it. It's all free. It's all for you. And you can also send us a question. Click on Ask Farnoosh. Send me your question for the Friday Ask Farnoosh sessions, and we'll hopefully get you on the list soon. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope your day is so money.